Good morning. Happy Easter to you all. Christ is risen. Let's stand together and sing.
Good morning, Grace Church. Happy Easter. He is risen. This is a wonderful morning. Uh, it started here for us at 6.30 across the street at our sunrise service. We had some 70 people come. It was cold. And this guy here preached without a coat on. Um, but that was good because it meant he preached short, uh, unlike I will do this morning. <laughs> Um, but man, what a wonderful day, because this is the day where we remember that we do not serve a dead Savior. We serve a Savior who is alive, who conquered the grave, conquered death, and is seated at God's right hand. A special welcome to each and every one, especially any guests that we may have with us this morning, whether you're traveling from out of town and visiting with family or whether you're just here because you were looking for a church to go to on Easter. Uh, we are glad that the Lord has led you here to celebrate with us and we want to get to know you. So uh, I would say to the folks who normally attend here, if you see a new face, just introduce yourself. And if you are new to us, just make sure to let yourself be known uh, to the folks around you. Um, I, I do want to point you to the friendship pad. I don't have one with me, but they're at the end of each aisle, each row. If you could just make sure to grab that and sign it and pass it on down, that's helpful to us in just tracking our attendance and making sure that our records are straight. And uh, we would be thankful if you would do that. Just a couple of announcements before we um, continue our worship. Uh, number one, if you are new here at Grace or newer or perhaps it's been a while since you've really investigated who we are as a church. We have a class coming up that starts next week, April 16th, and also on the 30th, April 16th and the 30th, uh, that happens during our normal adult Bible fellowship hour starting at 945. It's a class called Next Steps, and this is a class where we overview what we believe as a church, what some of our ministries are, what our mission is, uh, really just helping you to understand who is Grace Church and what are we all about. And we would encourage you to come out to that if uh, you would like to get more information. That's April 16th and 30th. As well, on April 30th, we are very excited to be doing our Children's Sunday. Uh, and what is special about this, and you might want to take a note, but we will remind you, April 30th, we will only be having one service, just one service, and that will be at 9.30, and that'll actually be downstairs in our Family Life Center, in our gym, so that we can accommodate all the people who will be coming. We're expecting a large crowd because our Kids Express Preschool will be with us on that morning. And uh, for those of you who don't know, we have a, a preschool here, and um, from Monday to Friday, kids come on in, they get to hear about the gospel, they get to learn about the Bible, uh, as well as receive basic education. And they're going to be with us on that morning um, to, to just tell us a little bit about what they're learning and also sing some songs for us. And here's what's amazing about this. Kids Express Preschool 
the families that make up that school, 55 of those families are unchurched families. And we get to uh, be a voice of the truth into their lives each and every day, and they're going to be coming into our doors on April 30th. So let's make sure that we come uh, and, and show them the love of Christ when they're here. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be excited to be reminded about God's blessing that he gives us in children. Well, those are the announcements. It's Easter. Let's worship. Uh, I want to start by just reminding us of some words that our risen Lord says. This is from Revelation 1. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is our God. Why don't we stand together as we recite our call to worship, allowing God's word to call us to himself. Uh, We're going to be reciting words that are being said in heaven, recorded for John, uh, even as we uh, say, uh, stand here, these are words being said in heaven. Let's read this. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Father, we come with our hearts full. We come full of encouragement, full of hope and joy because Jesus has come. He has died so that our sin might be paid for. He has risen again and conquered the grave and he is seated at your right hand and all things are going his way as the sovereign ruler of all things. We have come to worship him. He is worthy of all that we can give him this morning. And so we pray that our full attention our full hearts, our full minds, our full joy will be given over to him and that you would lift up the Lord Jesus in our midst and glorify him so that we might be encouraged. And we pray these things in his victorious name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's worship. Christ the Lord is risen today.
Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Oh, sing hallelujah. Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. How can it be the one who died has borne our sin through sacrifice to conquer every sting of death? Sing, sing hallelujah. For joy awakes as dawning light when Christ's disciples lift their eyes. Alive he stands, their friend and king, Christ, Christ he is risen. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Oh, sing hallelujah. Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, he is risen. saw him and their hearts believe but blessed are those who have not seen yet sing hallelujah once bound by fear now bold in faith they preached the truth and may be seated. Take your Bibles, please, and open to the Gospel of Luke, 
chapter 24, 23, chapter 23, we'll begin reading in verse 44 and go into chapter 24 as well. So that's Luke chapter 23, verse 44 and following. And as I read, I remind you, this is the word of God. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. This, was, this is the word of God. As we go to prayer this morning, there are some in our church family with some health issues that we want to be praying for. Mike Ocker and Eugene Hoover and Paula Peterson. And this is a time, whenever a holiday rolls around, it's difficult for those who have lost loved ones. And so we want to be praying for those as well. 
Join me in prayer. Father, as we come into your presence this morning, we do so not on our own merit, but on the merit of Jesus. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you so love the world that you sent him and that he went to the cross for us, yielding up his own life as a sacrifice for our sin. And we're so grateful for that. And we're so thankful that on the third day, following his crucifixion, that he came forth from that tomb alive because death could not keep him in its icy grip. And we're thankful that he is now at your right hand, Father. He's there, and one day he shall come to judge the living and the dead. So we thank you, Father, that we serve a risen Savior. We thank you for the gift of eternal life that only Christ can offer us to know and have a relationship with you, Father, and the one you have sent, Jesus, and to know that for all eternity we will dwell together with Christ in heaven. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy and your love, which has made all this possible. We think of those who are struggling in our church family, some with physical needs like Mike, and Eugene and Paula, and there's others as well. And there's some in our church families struggling with emotional needs and financial needs and relational needs. Father, we are broken people living in a broken world. And so all of us struggle. And if we're not struggling today, it may be tomorrow, it may be next week, but struggling through hardship is part of living here on this, in this world. And so as we face hardships, for those that are facing them now and for all of us who will be facing them, help us to flee to Christ. He is indeed our refuge. He is our strength and a very present help in trouble. And we're so thankful for that. We think of our missionaries serving around the world, some in very dark places, shine through them the light of Christ into the darkness as they live for Christ and seek to proclaim the gospel and bless the proclamation of the gospel, whether it's right here within this building or elsewhere throughout our community through all of us as we point people to Christ and live in such a way that we lead the fragrance of Christ in our wake as we go about our daily routine. Or if it's across on the other side of the globe through our missionaries, Father, Bless the proclamation of the gospel. Give people eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart, a new heart, that will fall in love with the risen Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing once more.
turn in your copy of the scripture to Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 11. Am I on, by the way? Is my microphone working? Okay, good. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 4. And I will read all the way to verse 11. This is God's word. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Father, as we look at these verses, we pray that you would encourage us, that you would persuade us, that you would give us confidence in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And we pray in his name, amen. We're here this morning because we are celebrating the most climactic moment in all of world history. It was the moment when God came down and entered into the human experience by becoming one of us as a man in the person of Jesus. And he came to live, to die, and ultimately to rise again. And the resurrection of Jesus is not just a a fanciful idea that sort of warms a, a human heart. What it is, is it is a real fact of human history. Jesus literally, actually, got up out of the tomb, rose again from the dead. 
And this fact is verifiable by many reliable evidences throughout history. For instance, his followers continued to follow him, and not just to follow him, but to worship him as God even after his death. In fact, they were willing to die for their worship of Jesus as God, not because they fancied that he had risen from the dead, but because they had seen him rise from the dead. First Corinthians tells us he appeared to over 300 people after his resurrection. Now, it's not enough merely for us to know that the death and resurrection of Jesus really happened. We also must know why it happened. We need to know the meaning of Easter. And to help us be reminded of what Easter is all about, we're using these words here in Romans 6 written by a man named Paul. Now, I'm conscious of the fact that we may have people here this morning who church is not a place that you often are at. Maybe you only come uh, for Christmas and Easter. Maybe you don't know much about the scripture. If that is you, we're so glad you're here. We hope to see you again. But for your sake, I just want to, before we dive into his words, tell you a little bit about who this man was, who this Paul was, whose words we're reading this morning, because his life is an amazing testimony of the power of Christianity. Because before Paul was a follower of Jesus as a Christian and an apostle, he was actually a renowned Jew, one of the most respected Jews in his day. He'd been born into the most reputable tribe of Israel. He was in the most elite sect of Judaism, being a Pharisee. He received the greatest education that a male Jew could possibly receive under one of their most uh, well-known theologians by the name of Gamaliel. And when Christianity began to break out all over the ancient Roman world, Paul was angry. He was incensed against Christianity. He wanted to see Christianity be eradicated, and he devoted himself to getting rid of Christianity by seeing that Christians were either thrown in prison or killed for following Jesus. And so this is what he devoted himself to until one day. He's on the road to Macedonia and the risen Christ appeared to him, blinded by his glory. And Jesus proved to him in that moment that he is indeed the savior that his Old Testament scriptures had told him to expect. And that day, Paul's life was radically changed. He became a follower of Jesus. It's what happens when you encounter the risen Christ. Paul, at great personal cost to himself, left his place of prestige and respect and lived a life of suffering in order to make Jesus known. He embraced that, which he formerly was a terrorist against. He experienced what he says in verse 4, if you take a look at it. Paul experienced newness of life. And he tells us in these verses how we can experience newness of life through the Easter message. Newness of life that comes only in and through knowing who this Jesus of Nazareth is. And what Paul tells us is that Easter essentially does two things. Easter addresses for us our problem and God's plan. Easter addresses our problem and God's plan. And he begins with our problem. It doesn't take long living in this world to realize that we have a problem, don't we? Every day that we wake up, we feel this world's weariness. We feel its craziness. There's conflict everywhere. 
We look over, overseas, nations are in conflict with each other. And nations are on conflict with each other because each nation is in conflict with itself. And each nation is in conflict with itself because the families that make up that nation are in conflict with themselves. They can't get along. And families can't get along because we're in conflict with our own selves. More and more we hear stories of people in conflict with their very selves and their own identity. I don't listen to the song often because it's really depressing. But an artist named Michael Andrews wrote a song called Mad World. And he looks out at the world and he writes these depressing lyrics of what he sees. He says, all around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces, bright and early for the daily races, going nowhere, going nowhere. Their tears are filling up their glasses, no expression, no expression. Hide my head. I want to drown my sorrow. No tomorrow. No tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. The dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you. I find it hard to take. When people run in circles, it's a very, very mad world. Whether we realize it or not, all of us are longing for something new. We look at this world, we see people just running in circles, looking for the next thing. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, your own life, I'm just running in circles. You're looking for something that will satisfy life's biggest questions. Who am I? Why are we here? What is it all about? Does it get any better? Why does this life not satisfy? Paul tells us in verse 6. Take a look at verse 6. He says at the tail end of verse 6, we are by nature enslaved to sin. Our problem is that we are enslaved to sin. We are estranged from the holy God who made us to be in relationship with him. If we would go all the way to the beginning of the book of Romans and see how he opens up the letter in chapter 1, we would see that he says essentially we were made to know God and to worship him, but we choose not to. We essentially live our lives by throwing away the manufacturer's instructional manual of how we're supposed to function and try to function in ways that we were never meant to function. And so Paul says we are enslaved to sin. Sin is not just what we do, but sin is who we are. We are sinners. Romans 3.23, Paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us can live up to God's perfect standard. And what do we deserve because of our sin? Well, take a look at verse 23. In verse 23, he tells us, the wages of sin is death. The final death knell of sin is death itself. We know we are sinners because we are dying. We live in a world that we wake up every day and people die. What's our problem? You ask the common person that question today, what is our problem? You'd probably get many different answers, wouldn't you? Well, we need new legislation. We need better education. We need more toleration. We need good medication. But God comes to us and he says our fundamental problem is we need salvation. We need to be saved from our sins. 
And that's where Easter comes in. God's plan, secondly, God's plan of salvation. God had a plan to step into time through the person of Jesus, send his son Jesus into this world to die. What was his death for? What would he die for? Take a look at verse 10. In verse 10, he tells us, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. He died so that all may have the possibility of being saved by their sin, in their sin through faith in him. Jesus came to die for our problem of sin, and what's more, he was raised from the dead to deal with our problem of death, just like Paul says in verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He died for our problem of sin, and he rose again for our problem of death. This is the glory of Christianity over and above every other world religion that exists today. If you study every other world religion today that is in existence with integrity, what you will find and discover is that every world religion has gods that claim to be loving and merciful and gracious, and yet keep themselves distant from humanity. And essentially say, you need to become a better person and work your way up to me if I ever will really approve of you. Only in Christianity do we have a God that not only says that he's loving and gracious and merciful, but proves it by not making man come up to him, but by coming down to man and actually becoming a man himself. And not just taking on our flesh, but also taking on our evil taking on our sin on the cross for us because he is a God of amazing love. Paul tells us in Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us. How? How has God shown he loves us? In that while we were still sinners, when we still didn't have our act together, Christ died for us. And the amazing thing is Paul says that God wants to have a united oneness, a united relationship with sinners. Take a look at verse 4 and 5. This is the relationship that God wants to have with sinners in and through Jesus. In verse 4, he says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse five, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He wants to be united to us through faith in Christ. And he says two wonderful things happen when we trust in Christ. Two wonderful realities take place in the life of the believer. When we trust in Christ, Two things happen. One, a funeral, and two, a birthday. It's a spiritual funeral and a spiritual birthday. And Paul begins with the funeral. What funeral takes place? Who dies? Well, take a look at verse 6. In verse 6, he tells us what funeral has to take place. In verse 6, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved 
to sin. We can experience a death of the old life of sin and say good riddance, goodbye to it once and for all because when we trust in Christ, it's like we have been crucified on that cross with him. He paid the penalty. When God looks at us through our trust in Christ, he sees it's all done. It's all gone. Jesus dealt with it finally. We can have absolute confidence in this life that all of our old life is done away with. All the guilt that we feel, all the shame that we carry for the wrongs that we've done, all the embarrassing ways that we make a royal mess of our lives, we can say, it's all done, crucified with him. We can bring every doubt, every excuse to God, but still it remains true. You wake up in the morning and you may say to yourself, but God, I'm a sinner. And he would say, the old self is crucified with him. Yeah, but God, you don't understand. I, I have sinned worse than every other Christian I know. Our old self is crucified with him. But God, I'm not making the progress that I wish I, our old self was crucified with him. But God, I wake up, I don't even think about you. Sometimes I don't even love you. Our old self is crucified with him. It's done. We were looking at legal papers as a staff this morning, some old files. We came across this old legal file uh, that had a post-it note on it from the lawyer that we'd been working with. And on this post-it note, it had a smiley face on it. And then it said, you're all legal now. That's what Jesus does with us when we trust in him. He takes our file in heaven and he puts his stamp on it with a smiley face saying, you're all legal now. I've paid for it. It's done. I had a friend who grew up in inner city uh, D.C. Um, and before he came to Christ, his life was an absolute, he was a total thug. I mean, bad boy. Uh, in and out of jail multiple times, drugs, the whole deal. Got one of his girlfriends pregnant at one point and forced her to have an abortion. You name it, he did it. And then Christ grabbed hold of his life. And I love talking to him because when he would give his testimony, what he'd always say about his past life is, that was the old me, he'd say. That old guy died a long time ago. He was crucified with Christ. I don't even know him anymore. I'm a new man in the Lord Jesus. That's what is offered by what Christ has done. Uh, my mother told me that um, one of my nieces, who's three or four, four years old yesterday, she was coloring a, an Easter picture, and she brought it to my mom. She's really little. And she said to her, Jesus died on cross because me do bad things, and him forgive me. That's the story. We're not asked to trudge our way through life seeking to make up for all the wrongs we've done. In Christ, we are called to just settle in to God's grace and receive what only he could do for our problem of sin. We can experience a funeral of that old life and say goodbye. And what happens on the other end of the funeral? Paul says we also experience a birthday, a birthday. What's the birthday? Take a look at verse 8. In verse 8, he says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
We are raised up with Christ. That's the argument of verse 4 and 5 again, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, a whole new identity, a whole new spiritual relationship with God. The old gone, the new is come, a completely new person only in and through Jesus because he uh, rose from the dead. And I love what Paul says in verse 5. He says, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We can have absolute assurance. Why? Because of what he says in verse 9. Take a look at verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. He has conquered death. Death doesn't have dominion over him. He has dominion over death. No other uh, religious leader can claim this. Muhammad did not claim that he could solve the problem of death. Buddha did not claim that he could solve the problem of death. I can take you to Mecca today and I can show you where Muhammad's body is lying. We could go throughout all of Asia and see the different spots in which Buddha's ashes are scattered. But Christians have no tomb that they can go look at, at their religious leader, because we follow a man who only had a borrowed grave. He only needed it for a few days, and he was going to come bursting out of it alive in absolute victory. I did devotions for Kids Express Preschool a couple weeks ago telling them about the Easter message, and uh, Mary Liz, our director, said, kids, do you, do you see the, the stained glass up on the, up on the stage? Yeah, they said. She said, who can tell me what it's all about? And one of the littlest boys said, it's about Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again from the dead because he has great power, is what he said. I smiled, absolutely. Because Jesus is God, he has great power. He rose from the dead. And any man who can rise from the dead is someone that we must consider and someone that we must take seriously. His resurrection is the assurance that we too can rise to newness of life. And Paul says, we certainly shall. He died so that our old self of sin could be done away with. And he raised, was risen again so that we could, as Paul says in verse 11, be alive to God in Christ Jesus. Once we were dead, once we were dead to God, we had no feelings. But in and through Christ, we are alive. My mentor, Joel Devaney, texted me this week to remind me. He said, Adam, just remember, Easter is not just a celebration of Christ's resurrection. It's a celebration of your resurrection as well. This is the truth of the gospel. This truth of the gospel is alone what lifts us up out of the chaos of our world into transcendent hope and joy and confidence despite the darkest times that we face. Now, one of our friends here at Grace, many of you will remember him, his name's Mark Farnham. He's a professor at Lancaster Bible College. A number of years ago, Mark Farnham was diagnosed with brain cancer, and uh, he had to undergo a very delicate brain surgery. And he, as he was wheeled into the hospital, the doctor, before wheeling him into the surgical room, said, I'm going to give you a moment to say goodbye to your wife and your kids because there's a good chance that you will not survive this surgery. 
And he said that two things were happening in him as, as he was being wheeled into the surgical room. He said, at, at first, there was this sadness that I was going to be leaving my wife and kids behind. But he said, at a more fundamental level, there was this overwhelming sense of confidence and hope that if I was indeed in just a few moments about to face that last adventure of life called death, and I was about to meet God, I was absolutely assured that I could stand before him and be accepted, not because of anything I've done. There's nothing that I could do, anything I ever could do, to be accepted and approved by him, but all because of what Christ has done for me, that his perfect righteousness has been credited in my account, that I have been crucified with Christ, and I have been raised to newness of life in him. I had absolute confidence going in to that surgical room with the possibility of facing death. Friends, every single one of us in this room all of us, at some point, we are going to look death in the face. We're going to go through that final adventure into the dark. Do you want to be prepared for that moment? Or are you going to live your life just sort of thinking, well, we'll just see how it shakes out. We'll just roll the dice. We'll see how it turns out in the end. Or do you want to have absolute confidence and hope that the God that you will meet on the other end will be happy to see you? If so, only the one who conquered death can give us confidence in death. I want to end by uh, talking about a man that many of us know, C.S. Lewis. You will know him from um, the Chronicles of Narnia that he wrote. Uh, he was a brilliant man. He was a uh, professor in Cambridge in Oxford, England. Amazing brain. And he prided himself, before he was a Christian, he prided himself on being an agnostic. That essentially, well, there, there's a God out there probably, but it doesn't really matter that we know him and we probably can't know him. And he thought that that would make him a great intellectual. But through the, the uh, witness of many of his believing friends in the different universities, he started actually investigating this person, Jesus of Nazareth. He wanted to know, should I believe in this guy or should I not? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? And this is what he deduced. He deduced after all of his research that he could no longer call himself an honest intellectual with integrity without looking at the facts of Jesus and deducing that this Jesus is God who needs to be worshipped. He could no longer say, I'm a good intellectual, without deducing Jesus is God from the facts of history, from the reliability of Scripture. And he said, we only have three options when it comes to the person of Jesus, and here they are. He said, Jesus is either a liar to be despised, that the Jesus who lived and died was actually lying when he said that he is God and that he is able to save from sin. And anyone who would lie about that does not deserve our respect. Or he is a lunatic to be pitied. That this Jesus who lived uh, was suffering from a, a very sad mental illness, thinking himself to be divine, thinking himself to be able to save people from their sin. Or the other option that we have left is that he is the Lord who is to be worshipped, that he is who he said he is and who he proved to be by rising from the dead.
all of us this morning, we have to come to a conclusion about who this Jesus is. Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he the Lord? And if he is the Lord, then we ought to fall down on our knees before him and worship him as the God that he is. Friends, this is the hope of Easter. Because God in Christ has died, our old self of sin can be done away with. And because God in Christ rose from the dead, we can be assured by trust in Christ that we are experiencing newness of life as well. And that one day, when he comes splitting down through the sky, we will rise to eternal life with him forever. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. For those of you who do not know him, I encourage you to investigate this Jesus. A good place to start would be the four Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just ask yourself if you read, as you read, if this is true, then how should my life change? If this is true, then how should my life change? And I guarantee you, you can throw any question, you can throw any doubt, you can throw any investigation at this book, and it will have an answer for you each and every time. Friends, Jesus has come. He has died. The tomb is empty, and he is risen. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we worship a Savior who is alive. We're thankful that you showed love for us and that Jesus came. He took on flesh and then he took on our sin. And then he proved his divinity. He proved his ability to be Lord and Savior by rising from the dead by conquering death itself. And we're so thankful that through faith in him, we too can say goodbye to that old self of sin and we can rise into newness of life in and through him. We're so thankful that we can be your children. We can be your friend. We can be yours, restored and reconciled. You don't ask us to earn it. You simply ask us to receive it. And so I pray, God, that we would be encouraged today as we remember that the tomb is empty, the Savior is alive, he is ascended, and he is seated at your right hand. We give him all of our worship this morning, and we pray these things in his risen, victorious, conquering name, and all God's people said. I contend this morning that the death of Christ was not an attempt, it was an accomplishment. Now, brothers and sisters, when one accomplishes something, it means somewhere they had to have an assignment. Well, what was the assignment? His name shall be called Jesus. For he shall save, not attempt to save, not try to save, not hope to save, 
not want to save, but he shall save his people from their sin. Is that right? I said, is that right? Now I hear this. I hear this. I hear it on televisions. I hear it in churches. That God has done all he can do. The rest is up to you. If the rest is up to you, then he didn't accomplish it. If anything is up to you, he didn't accomplish it. I've even heard this. You've got to help God save you. He can't do it by himself. If God cannot do it by himself, then he didn't accomplish it. He's a false God. He's a liar. And you best not trust him. If he didn't do it, then we ought to stop singing, Jesus paid it all. Saying he paid some of it. Now, brothers and sisters, if he did not accomplish it, we are here in vain. And you can have all of the religion you want. If this was not accomplished, we're going to hell. It's just that blunt, it's just that simple, it's just that clear. But if he did do it, he doesn't need your best and your works need not speak for you. If he did do it, you can leave here rejoicing that your sins are now under the blood and he stands as your substitute, your mediator before God this morning, pleading the blood, pleading his blood, that perfect sacrifice, that holy attainment, he's pleading the blood. You can rest that all of my sins are under that blood. Did he accomplish it? Did he fail? Do we need Mohammed to come after him? Do we need another prophet after him? I declare this morning, he paid it all. He paid it all. Every drop of it, every sin I was going to commit, every sin I thought about committing, he nailed it to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. shouted glory the groom is alive so long you wages of sin go on don't you come back again 
I've been raised and redeemed. You've lost all your sting to the victor of the battle. At high noon in the valley, in the valley of the shadow. Now the demons, they danced in the darkness when that last ragged breath left his lungs. And they reveled and howled at the war that they thought they had won. Then in the dark of the grave, the stone rolled away in the still of the dawn on the greatest of days. It was high noon in the valley of the shadow when the shadows were shot through with light. Jesus took in that breath and shattered all death with his life. Go on, you ages of sin. Go on, don't you come back again. I've been raised and redeemed. You've lost all your sting to the victor of the battle. At high noon in the valley, in the valley of the shadow. Let the people rejoice, let the heavens resound, let the name of Jesus who sought us and freed us forever ring out. All praise to the fighter of the night who rides on the light, whose gun is the grace of the God of the sky. It was high noon in the valley of the shadow when the shadows were shot through with light. When the mouth of the tomb shouted glory, the groom is alive. So long, you ages of sin, I said, go on, don't you come back again. I've been raised and redeemed, all praise to the King, the victor of the battle. At high noon in the valley, in the valley of the shadow. valley of the shadow now it is finished it is finished why don't we stand together and close our service with this hope we have in the risen Christ.
Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are sealed, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Christ alone, who took on flesh, the fullness of God in helpless pain, this gift of love and righteousness. By the ones he came to save, till on that cross that Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I last words to us are on the very last page of the Bible, and this is what he says. Surely, 
I am coming soon. And then John writes, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the benediction for us, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Your Lord is the conquering King. You stand in Him forgiven. You stand in Him alive, if indeed you trust in Him. Happy Easter. He is risen.